0: amazing day that we have had already and it's not over. So I want to encourage you now as we turn our attention to the Word for the next half hour or so if you have your Bibles with you, if you have uh, your your sword which is sharpened and ready to do what God's intended for it to do tonight or today would would you turn to John chapter 1 and this incredible, what the world calls a holiday. What we call is really our birthday. Because if Jesus isn't raised, we don't have eternal life. Amen? Amen. So we, we celebrate Easter far differently than people in the world celebrate Easter. For us, it's not about Easter eggs. It's not about Easter baskets. It's not certainly about an Easter bunny. It is about our risen Savior. Amen? Amen. If you were with us as we studied last Sunday, and if you joined us uh, at that time, as as we thought about Palm Sunday, Jesus arrives into Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life, Good Friday we celebrated the final message that he delivered, but this morning really is a continuation of Palm Sunday's message, because if you remember, and for those who weren't here with us, let me remind you that Matthew's gospel, in recording the triumphal entry of the Lord, John's gospel says much the same thing. But in Matthew's gospel we have recorded these words because what happens is Jesus comes, the groundswell of public opinion comes with him, and as that groundswell of public opinion happens, people begin from the bottom of the Cadron Valley to the top of the Mount of Olives. All of a sudden it's like the Messiah's here. Hosanna to, to the King of David. God save us now. But as that groundswell subsides and as they see Jesus go by on a donkey, all of a sudden it changes to, who is this? Who is this king? And that remains the question that every last person in this room will have to one day answer. And the answer to that question determines where you will spend eternity. There are two answers to that question. One is, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. Amen? Amen. The other is, I don't know. And he thereby is only your judge. And so that question is in view in John's gospel. As we turn our attention there, if you would do me the honor of standing while we read the word of the Lord. The first chapter of the gospel of John, will pick up in verse 6 through verse 14. And here's the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This happens to be a reference to John the Baptist. And this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. So John wasn't saying he himself was light. He wasn't saying that John the Baptist was light, but that John the Baptist came to bear witness to the light. That all through him might believe, There is the question. What do you believe? Who is Jesus? For he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory is the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth father we thank you for that truth and we ask you now for your grace to fall upon this place lord as we study your word and speak for but a few moments about the marvelous plan that was the cross of christ that was the tomb and that tomb is empty lord that you indeed are risen would you speak to us through the power of your word, by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take your seats. You see, that question that was asked now really comes into view in light of how John begins his own gospel, writing of John the Baptist, because he says that the whole crux of this is to believe On Jesus. You you see, you can know about Jesus and not know Jesus. You can hear the gospel and not believe the gospel. You could have seen Jesus come into Jerusalem, die on Calvary's cross, be buried in the grave. And even raised on the third day, and you can still not believe that it's true. The choice is yours. And so here on Easter 2017, the question that was in the minds of those gathered then is the question for us today. You see, for a vast majority of us, we have believed on his name. We have received him as our Savior and our Lord. He's the one that's redeemed us and purchased us back on Calvary's cross. His death, his burial, his resurrection mean to us that he is the only begotten Son of God, and we recognize that fact, and we have believed that fact, And then we have believed by faith that believing in him one day will also, as he was raised, raise us from the dead. Amen? But you know what? I can't believe that for you. When you get to that place where you've taken your last breath, no one is going to ask you which church you attended. Today's not about Calvary Chapel, South Bay. It's not about Phil Wickham. It's not about Jeff Gill. Today is about Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen? You see, the story of the resurrection only benefits you if you believe the message of the story of the resurrection. And you have believed on the name that made it possible. And his name is Jesus. Because the truth of the matter is, whether you have received the gift of life or you have not received the gift of life, Scripture treats all of us exactly the same as the Apostle Paul would write to the church there in Philippians chapter 2. And he said this, One day every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and then just to make sure we don't miss the implication, whether in heaven, on earth, or literally under the earth, meaning in hell. So in other words, one day, everyone actually will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only question is when will you make that recognition? Demons, Satan himself, every human being that has ever lived will one day bow the knee to Jesus. Because he's God's only son and only answer to mankind's problem. Sin and the penalty of it, which is death. So as we celebrate Easter, as we celebrate more appropriately Resurrection Day, amen? We celebrate Resurrection Day as the body of Christ. The story is amazing because it is a first-hand account. All four Gospels record this wonderful event, and they record it exactly as you would think those who eyewitness events would record it a little bit of different views of the same event. And so I'd like to focus in, in our remaining time, in Matthew's account of the resurrection. If you want to turn there, you can go to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll pick up in verse 1. And now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, came to see the tomb. Now why would they go to a tomb unless there was a dead person in the tomb. I'm sure they weren't coming to the tomb to see a live person. I'm sure they weren't coming to the tomb to see an empty tomb. They were coming to the tomb because they believed that Jesus Christ actually was crucified. There are very few people so foolish left on the earth as to believe that Jesus Christ was not only a historical figure, but in fact he was killed Do you look at your calendar until we started to call things BCE, before the common era, or common era? We used to say A.D., in the year of our Lord, Anno Domini. The reason being is the whole world's system of understanding dates and times were before the Lord and after the Lord came. Now we need to be politically correct, so we say before the common era. There's nothing common about Jesus. He's one of one. The preeminent one of Colossians chapter one. But they came to the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And I love this account of Matthew. And here's why I love it. Because the angel didn't roll back the stone to let Jesus out. He rolled back the stone to let the ladies in. Amen? Jesus wasn't there. But the ladies couldn't move the stone. Neither could Peter or John, who John's gospel says had a foot race to get there. You see, the stone was rolled away to bear witness to the fact that he is risen. Because here's what happened. They didn't find a grave robbery. No one cut Jesus out of the cloth to try and dispose of his body. The grave clothes were in the shape of a body laying in the niche in the corner of the tomb. With the head napkin nice and neatly folded over on another spot in the tomb. This is not someone who came in and stole Jesus. And furthermore, just in case you happen to be in that crowd, well, maybe the disciples, as the story goes, even in Scripture, one of the common things that was said was they stole Jesus' body. Now imagine yourselves that during that day and time, the most powerful military force on the face of the earth were the Roman legions. In this case, the 6th legion was stationed in Jerusalem. There were thousands of Roman soldiers, there was an insurrection, it's Passover week, there are soldiers everywhere, and here comes a bunch of fishermen toting the body of Jesus wrapped in a hundred pounds of linen and spices. Pay no attention to the guy on our shoulders. We're really not hiding anything. Well, it kind of looks like a body. No, it's not a body. In other words, God was making obvious that Jesus was not there. The story continues in Matthew's Gospel. The angel answered to the women after they saw him, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Praise the Lord. He was not in that tomb. Because if he was dead and buried and still in that tomb, then we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. If Christ didn't die, if he was not resurrected, then we do not have resurrection life coursing through our veins by the power of the Spirit. But he was not there, for he is risen. And so the angel invites the lady, come, come here, take a look. They turn the corner, they look there to the left, they look to the right. No Jesus. Go and see where he was. And he says to them, for indeed he is going before you into the wall of Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so they, they go out with this message. Now imagine the tomb guards who were professionally trained guards. Their whole job was to keep a dead man from going somewhere. (laughs) Now you would think that's not too difficult. Unless that dead man is the king of kings and lord of lords. Then you've got your hands full. Amen? So the tomb guards who are stationed outside, they've been put there for two reasons. The Jews want to make sure Jesus stays in there. Because... He was a false messiah the Romans want to see him in there because they have allowed this man to be crucified Pontius Pilate three times says I find no fault in this man But if you all want to kill him you go ahead So everyone's in trouble The guards are in trouble Pilate's in trouble. Rome's in trouble. The Jewish religious leaders are in trouble. Everyone's in trouble. Because the one thing that they did not see coming was that Jesus would be raised from the dead. They were prepared for him to stay in there and rot just like every other dead person does. But oh, were they in for an amazing morning. Verse 11 we pick up in Matthew 20. Now while they were going on their way, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted with them, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Now in order to give this the meaning it needs to take, You need to understand the position of those Roman soldiers. Normally, under Roman law, if someone fails or is derelict in their duty, whatever the penalty was of the person that you were supposed to take care of was, that now becomes your fate. So they're facing a death sentence. And so they're going to be bribed to say, we totally messed up. He's gone. Does any of this sound a little far-fetched to you? Like if you were in this position, I'm, think of I'm a Roman soldier under this circumstance. I am heading for a long vacation in Sicily. <laughs> but nonetheless, it is amazing the stories that people will tell to avoid believing on the only begotten Son of God. It is amazing the things that we will do to buy ourselves a reprieve from having to believe that on that cross died the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and that he was raised three days later. Brothers and sisters, some of you do not know the Lord who are in here today. How many things have you tried to bribe your way through in life? Believing that if you just told this story, you could escape the reality of the cross. Here's the tragic end. You can continue to do that throughout your life. You can say, oh, you know, Christians are just weak minded. You, you can say it's a fanciful story. But thankfully, so many of these details were told to us in advance. Which we now know were told to us in advance. Thanks to the Dead Sea Scrolls. So all those things that people used to argue about and haggle about and say, Oh, they, you know, that wasn't told to us in advance. We now know emphatically that Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came. Daniel prophesied hundreds of years, over 500. Isaiah, almost 700. David, nearly a 1,000 years before Jesus came. And told us what would happen that last week of his life. And one of those things, the prophet David says, was the grave could not hold him. He also said he'd die on a cross. He also Through the prophet Zechariah, God speaking to us said, one day they would mourn him who they pierced. Here's the problem with thinking maybe that's a guess. Crucifixion wasn't invented until 500 years later. So again, I ask you the question. Who is this? Who is this that Even now the most inquiring mind would have to say that's an awful lot of evidence that points a single direction. So much so that books, volumes have been written on the subject of what Jesus did the final week of his life and how it compares to those books that were written before Jesus got here. You start examining the evidence and all of a sudden it becomes overwhelming. Jesus was never destined to stay in that tomb. He was destined to leave that tomb. That was what he came to do. And so Jesus begins to pop up periodically, and he finds the disciples up in the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. They're gathered together there. But in the process of getting to where the disciples were to have breakfast with them, all along the way... Because Jesus had spent so much time in that region. Every single town that Jesus showed up in. That is the guy that healed me. That's the one that fed us when we were on the Mount of Beatitudes. I watched him turn the water into wine at that wedding in Cana of Galilee. Thousands of people bearing witness to every single thing that was said, every single thing that was done, the information was incontrovertible. No one could deny it. Because everything Jesus did, he did publicly. He didn't gather just a group of people and go do little, you know, you know heal one guy in a back room someplace. He did it in front of thousands of people. He didn't just touch one. Your Bible says that he healed all those who came to him of every sickness. To the whole countryside. Yeah, he healed me too. healed me too. Yeah, I saw him. He was down the street. The Apostle Paul writes that in one single group there's 500 people. Now if you've ever had the misfortune of getting involved with the legal system here in our state or in our nation, and you're on trial for a crime that requires a a trial by your peers with a jury, I can tell you one thing that will get you convicted quicker than any other piece of evidence. Eyewitness accounts. Usually you're fortunate if you have one person who sees a something committed that would be considered a crime. Now imagine in this case, the evidence is overwhelming and person after person after person can walk up and say, yep, Jesus healed me. Yes, I was blind and now I see. I used to be lame, but now I walk. I was hungry and he fed me. And now Jesus has reappeared to all of those groups of people so much so that the countryside is abuzz. He's alive. I saw him. The Romans are running around trying to find him. The members of the Sanhedrin, oh no. The disciples are gathering together because he had actually told them, I'm going to meet with you, so I want you to go to a mountain and I'll see you there. And he does. Can you imagine the evidence? You see, Jesus had done something that no one had ever done in that way. Oh, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised the widow's son in Nain from the dead. Elijah was taken away. But here's the difference. Every last one of those people was raised only to die again. Jesus was raised to never die again. And that is our hope. Because he lives, so do we who believe in him. And so the question is, when you think about who is this Jesus, there were a lot of different answers that day. There were people who were concerned with all kinds of things. The Jewish religious leadership, man, our plan has failed. We're going to bribe people. We can't possibly tell the truth here that exactly what this carpenter from Nazareth said would happen, happened. We've got to start a false narrative. There are a lot of false narratives about the grace of God. The only way for anyone to have a right relationship with God is to believe in the name of his only begotten Son. You can make up all kinds of religious nonsense. You can jump through all kinds of religious hoops. But Jesus made it very clear, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's it. So here's the glory of that story. He does not complicate that on resurrection day. He doesn't do something new and different. He does exactly what he said he would do. Because when he was asked by the Pharisees for a sign, he said this, No sign shall be given to you except the sign of Jonah. They're looking at, well, we know that story. Wasn't that the dude that got sucked up by the fish and barfed up on the beach three days later? Uh Uh-huh. No sign. Can you imagine what they're thinking now that Jesus is laid in the grave for three days and he's not in the tomb anymore? There was only one conclusion they could come to. He's alive. because if they could have produced his body they would have produced his body after the beating he took after the blood loss that he endured after what happened to him on Calvary's cross there was no chance that Jesus if he was alive and simply not because somebody stole him that he was going anywhere and if if he was dead how long do you hide a body Where do you take it? He was buried very near the, the city walls of Jerusalem. They could have found him in a heartbeat. Yeah, there's three guys up there on the hill. They're running with a shroud-covered body. We should probably check that out. So ladies, come. It makes it all the more Powerful. The guards are just stunned. They're like the one thing that we, were, we thought we were going to be okay on this. They're standing there and, and at that time, in order for a grave to be sealed, usually what would happen is there'd be an impression of wax put on one side of the door opening and then on the door itself, a cord would be stretched between them and then the, the seal of the governor usually would be impressed in that wax. In this case, the seal of Pontius Pilate. And so for almost 2,000 years, people said, well, we don't really have any historical record of Pontius Pilate. We don't have any writings about him. We don't know much about him, save a couple of historians that mentioned his name. But we don't have any archaeological records. Until 1961. While excavating in Caesarea Maritima on the coast, north of the city of Netanya." They dig up a stone, and there it is, about that tall, about this wide, almost square, yet taller than it is long. Pontius Pilatus, governor of Judea. Bummer on those who believe he's not a historical figure. You can go see that. It's in the Israeli Museum today. You can see a replica at Caesarea. Pilate was a real guy, he was a real governor. You see, the secular mindset then is the secular mindset today. And when I say secular, I just mean people who don't know the Lord. The mindset of people who don't know the Lord is you really think this Jesus guy is alive? Are you nuts? Are you crazy? Did you get to the California marijuana laws before it was passed? (laughs) I've actually had some... Man, you're smoking something. You believe that Jesus thing. Really? I'll usually say something like, can you explain to me why over the course of the last couple thousand years, countless millions of people who have lived their life believing Jesus Christ is is the Lord, have died for nothing more than that testimony. Not for wealth, not for power, not for any other thing. All they would need to do is say, you know, I, I believe that Allah is God. But with their dying breath, Jesus Christ is my Lord, I cannot deny him. It just happened this week. 38 Coptic Christians blown up in their church for nothing more than meeting and declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. One of the survivors of that bombing was laying in the hospital bed and the only thing he could say, Jesus loves me. Now, I'm pretty much thinking if I'm going to get blown to bits, if I don't believe what I'm talking about, I'm probably going to change my story. But if I truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, then I owe him my life. Because he died for it. And he was raised so that I could live an abundant life and then spend eternity with him. And so the mindset then, the mindset today... You think about all of the prominent figures in various world religions. And the one that always comes to mind for me is Muhammad. You can travel to Saudi Arabia and you can go and you can stand within a number of feet. Where you will find the bones of Muhammad. You can go to Jerusalem and you can find an empty tomb. Because he's not there. He's alive. So the question is, who is Jesus to you? You see, in a very strange way, it does not actually matter who he is to me. To me, he is my Savior, my Lord, my King. He is my reason for living. Let me make that clear. Amen? Amen. But my profession of faith cannot save you. You being here today, hearing the truth of the resurrection, cannot in and of itself save you. It's just knowledge at that point. You have to be in that group who willingly says, I'm going to bow my knee now. I'm going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my Savior. He's the only way I can be right with God. You see, what I believe, what a vast majority of Christians believe, what we believe is the body of Christ is an open book. You can read it. And let me tell you how. Because... We are the redeemed of the Lord, and God has worked in our lives to free us from the bondage of sin. And so in this room are countless, hundreds, and ultimately thousands of transformed lives who used to be really good at sinning. But now we're really lousy at sinning. Because we have believed in our Savior. And where we used to be drug addicts, we used to be fornicators and idolaters, we used to be thieves and we used to be liars, we are no longer those things. Now we walk in the newness of life. And you can't tell us that we haven't been changed because we've been changed. Now you can deny that it was Jesus that did it, but you cannot deny that the change happened because we are changed and we are transformed and that is irrefutable I was an alcoholic. Until I met Jesus. Many of you in here can say the same thing, maybe about that thing or some other thing. I didn't spend one day in rehab, I didn't go to one class, I don't have a coin in my pocket. And I'm not actually knocking 12 steps or anything. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ set me free. He changed my life. No one has an answer for that. But I can tell you what happened King of Kings, Lord of Lords creator of heaven and earth, by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, changed my life. That's what happened. You can believe it or not believe it. And I would venture a very educated guess that if you were to talk to people in this room who know the Lord, they would tell you very similar things about their life. That was the message floating around the region of Judea and Galilee. For those 40 days that Jesus spent here on this earth before he ascended into heaven. Countless thousands of people. Just like this great congregation. Countless thousands of people. Who came in contact with the Savior. And rather than. Allowing their doubt to build further doubt. They allowed their doubt to be used. You see doubt can be a good thing. This passage goes on to say and some doubted. Doubt's good actually at times. Because it makes you own the truth and the conclusion that you come to. When, when I don't believe something initially and I'm forced to come to terms with the facts. Then I really believe what I have researched. I really believe that Jesus Christ is alive. Many, if not a vast majority of us in this room, really believe that Jesus Christ is alive. And he's coming again, by the way. First to take home his church and then to rule and reign in righteousness on this very earth. You see, the sleeping guards didn't know what happened. The religious leaders demanded that someone be punished for it. Pilate was trying to figure out how he was going to get out of the obvious. But you know what happened to the people who saw him? There goes my Savior. I believed on him when I was in Tiberias. I believed on him when I was in Magdala. I believed on him when I was on the eastern shore of the Galilee. I was there in the town where he caused that demonic man to be set free. I'm going to invite Pastor Alex to come back out. And so my question is for you today. Who is Jesus to you? Who is this? You see, if you came today for a religious experience you were probably sorely displeased. Because we didn't come here for a religious experience. We came here to celebrate our relationship with the King of Kings. Amen? Why is that? because we believe he's alive I don't worship an edifice I don't worship an icon I surely don't worship a picture on a wall that looks like some white dude Jesus was Middle Eastern he had more pigment than I do We need to get real with who Jesus is. He's God's own son. Offered up in your place. Jesus died for you. He died to set sinners free. To release captives from bondage. He made it possible for us to have a right relationship with God. All of my struggles and strains and stresses trying to be acceptable to the Lord, they would have never gotten me there. I had to believe on the only begotten Son. That's who Jesus is to me. But the question is who is he to you? Would you stand with me? And while you're standing, and believers, I'm going to ask you to be praying right now. And I want to be really serious. If you're here today, and you do not know how to answer that question in the affirmative, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. You can change that today. Jesus made it actually very clear. He just simply said, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And when asked how complicated that was, he he simply said, it is enough that you believe. You have just had the gospel presented to you. Jesus Christ." was and is, always shall be God's only begotten son. He is Emmanuel, God incarnate human flesh. John's gospel said he came to this earth and dwelt among us. He lived a sinless life, a perfect life. He was then put to death on Calvary's cross for my sin, our sin, all sin that whosoever would believe in his name should not perish but have everlasting life. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised three days later. He was seen by thousands of people. So for you, the question is, do you believe it? Because if you believe it, And you invite Jesus into your life. Revelation 3.20 says he will come in and sup with you. And you can have dinner with him. But that's the only way. And so I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads right now. If that's you, you're here today. And you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior your Lord. You've never done it. You've never invited him in and said, please take a present. I want to pray with you right now to receive Christ. And I'm going to simply ask you to raise your hand right where you're at. Just slip it up in the air where I can see it. Please keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Anyone at all, I see that hand. Anyone else? Don't be ashamed. I see that hand as well. I see those hands. Hands going up all over the sanctuary. Don't be ashamed of him because he's not ashamed of you. He loves you. It's why he came to this earth. He said, die for you so that you could have eternal life. Just slip your hand up. I'm going to pray with you right where you're at. See those hands. Anyone else? Just another moment. Believers, be patient and pray. I see that hand as well. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're joining hundreds of us. I see that hand as well slip it up. Simple. We're just going to pray together. And then you're going to start a journey with the King of Kings. I see that hand too. Most important decision you'll ever make is the one to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. Don't let the enemy rip you off. Let him tell you this is meaningless. It's the most meaningful thing you will ever do. Praise God. For those who have raised your hands, would you just pray with me? And please, you have to mean this in your heart. You have to believe it. Just pray along with me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you're God's own son. And I'm inviting you now to be my Savior and my Lord. Please forgive me of my sin. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Enable me by your Holy Spirit to live a life that's pleasing to you. Help me to walk with you all of my days. Help me to grow in the knowledge of you. Help me to get planted, rooted, and grounded. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for inviting me into your family and adopting me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.